Welcome to this week's CTO studio. Vidya joins us, Jerome joins us, Benji joins us. We talk about massive companies and maintaining culture, teeny tiny companies that maintaining culture. We talk about restaurants and food supply. I have a wonderful electronic invention I want you to see. It, it looks something like this. Welcome to the CTO studio. I'm your host, Etienne de Bruin. The CTO studio is where we chat with CTOs building amazing products with incredible teams. Have you chatted with a CTO lately? Welcome to the CTO studio. Benji, Jerome, Vidya, last week was awesome with you. That was amazing. It feels like so long ago. That was a long time ago. It's <laughs> nice to have you back. Thanks. Benji, you've been here before, so... A long time ago. Years ago. Years ago. And Jerome, you're joining us... Years ago, maybe. I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> nice so, to be here. Thank you for being with us. So, Benji, CTO, co-founder of Galley Solutions. Jerome is the CTO of uh, American Specialty Health Network. American Specialty Health. Dot com. Dot com. Vidya is... Uh, CPO slash co-founder, well, CPO type, but more importantly, co-founder of Ad Astra, which is a accelerator for female-founded companies. That's right. Is saying female-founded um, acceptable? That is acceptable. How is else it, would you say it? Woman. Female founder. We like we like female founder. Is it better to say female CTO or woman CTO? What sounds better? Woman CTO? Female? I think it's a female CPO. I think female CTO sounds... Okay. CEO, yeah. So it's it's women leaders. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We like women CTOs as well. Um, I wish there were more. So do I. Where do we find them? That's a great question. I just don't think there's that many women going through engineering. So you've got daughters. Make them go through engineering school. I can't make them do nothing. Yeah, I know. That's true. One theory I heard was that women are tend to ask themselves, "Can I do the job?" and then whether they can meet this the wreck. Yeah, you know, there's a ton of research. Whereas the man will say, "I can do it." So, so the research. This is really fascinating, actually, because we've done tons of research about implicit bias mm -hmm. at Ad Astra, mm -hmm. and when you take a look at a job description. Women want to say yes to about 80 to 90 percent of the qualifications. You know, you want to feel confident that you have it all. A man will go up with about 60 percent and go, yep, good enough. I'm going for it. <sighs> and so this is on us. I mean, this is, you know, we can't say that's not fair. So what we do is we teach women to say you've got about 50, 60 percent. Go for it. Mm. You don't know where that's mm. going to go. But you know what's fascinating for me with my daughters is I, I even at that young age, I'm seeing their drive for, um, I don't want to call it perfection, but when it, whether it's singing a song or playing the piano or doing the cartwheel, there just seems to be an innate drive to do it perfectly. Whereas my son just doesn't give a shit. He's yeah. just like, well, I'm going to try catch the ball until I catch it. Where my daughter is like, I didn't catch it, so I'm not going to do it. 
It's funny, that implicit bias starts so early. It's about five or six years old. So how am I failing them as a, as a dad? You know, you're not failing them. I think just the fact that you're looking at this and recognizing it is fantastic. I think what you need to do is to encourage them to take more risks and to applaud. And we talk about this a lot, right, with, with Agile and Lean, is have the learning, savor the learning, and talk about what they learned and talk about that growth mindset versus they did it, right? The mm. completion, the mm. outcome. It's what did you learn along the way? So ask those kinds of questions. And it's not just you as a parent. Of course, it's the entire context in which they grow, right? I mean, talk about uh, implicit bias, but I believe there is also a lot that happens on the other side when you see a resume that might be 60% right for one person, but, you know, um, fits the profile. You might think, well, good enough, right? We'll take the chance. Whereas if it's... Uh, a profile that's a little bit unusual, uh, you might not. And the usual versus unusual completely depends on what you've seen in the past. So past is usually a pretty bad model for what you, we really want to achieve. Mm. Or, yeah, totally. Right? In most so, things, right? Yeah. No, I love that. But I think that takes leaders to say, what kind of culture do I want to build? Mm -hmm. And am I really solving for diversity? Because if I've got 50 or 60% of the qualifications, Let's work on it. Let's get you there because that sort of diversity of thought is going to make our company stronger. Completely agree. Yeah, I think that's but true is at there, any level, right? But is there a 60% say yes to the 60% when you've got a 90% on the table as well? True. I, I, I think it depends what type of qualities. Because then it becomes a cultural, well, right. cultural fit has become a cultural fit, I feel, has become a label for being able to say a, whether you like or don't like someone. Hmm, interesting, really. That, that's true. That's a good. Uh, that's uh, a good observation, right? That's part of the interview process. Uh, the cultural fit is kind of a catch-all for yeah. all the things that don't feel the don't fit the boxes neatly. Yeah. Uh, so it could be where you stick all the biases and all the. Yeah. Just doesn't feel right, you know. She doesn't belong here. Oh. Yeah. Wouldn't fit. I mean, with the hiring piece and talking about the requirements, like for me, building such an early stage company, and it might be different as you get further along, but my requirements are pretty like low because I cast a wide net and, and you know, am interested. I, like there's just so much that needs to get done at such an early stage. And also uh, people are so much deeper than you get in an interview. Um, you know, I, I was, I saw some clip, uh, I can't remember who it was, but he essentially said, you know, the important thing about culture is not so much hiring, but firing, because when you hire somebody, you're making a guess, you really don't have enough information mm -hmm. to go off of, to make a concrete decision. So don't belabor it too much. I mean, mm -hmm. obviously have some criteria, have some filters. Um, but the key to maintaining and building a company culture is, are you firing the right people? And are you firing quick mm. enough? Um, and, you know, the the conversation of filling the requirements, I don't know that I've picked the right set of requirements. Uh, you know, maybe I pick a tech stack that I'm interested in, but just because you haven't used that tech stack doesn't mean that you're not going to be a good fit. So, you know, I don't need, like, when I'm hiring for people, it's not even so much like, here's the job description. You fulfill 70% of it. It's like, who are you as a person? What's your... Mm. What's your mindset? Do you have a growth mindset? Do you have a craftsman mindset? How do you approach problem solving? 
Um, and that's so much deeper than like an interview that I'm more willing to take chances with people. You know, it's so interesting because um, <clears throat> we were just talking to a CEO, very successful, did a great exit. And he ended up trying to completely rebuild his culture. And now he has this question that I think is fantastic. He asks people, are you lucky? And I think that's so interesting because it speaks to your mindset and it speaks to like, how do you view the world in yourself? And this idea that if you feel lucky and you have this optimistic and you can speak about things in a way that is like, yeah, look at all these great things that have happened to me versus no, you know, I'm not. And I, you know, things happen to me and they happen, you know, in a way that is really difficult. It really, those kinds of questions, I think, really understand and can I dig into who you're hiring? And I think that speaks to, you talked about requirements, but if you forget about that and you say, I want the right type of person and I'm solving for a really varied group of people, these are the questions that are going to make a team. I love that. I yeah. love the are you lucky question. Inter interestingly, we are in the same um, same um, mindset where, you know, despite the fact that our company is 30 years old, so different stage, uh, we tend to recruit engineers that are younger in their career, that maybe are less qualified. Um, our reason is, first, we are looking for character and, and you know, all the, the traits that you are saying. So is person hungry? Is it is he, she uh, humble? Is she capable? Um, and um, the, you know, what you learn on the job uh, with years of experience, we can probably get, um, uh, we can probably get there with, with some level of training. It's also, I mean, maybe more um, pragmatically, it's, it's actually harder to find very senior people. It's harder to find somebody who's really, really talented with the, the exact skill set that you want. So we actually find it easier to um, hire younger people um, out of out of school for maybe a year or two, and uh, and actually you know train the hard skills we want. Um, which means, interestingly, that our you know going back to the original topic, uh, our engineer population has become more diverse because of that, right? Mm. We have more female, we have more, uh, we have more folks from, you know, all different walks of life. Um, just because I think, you know, as you said, our requirements are, are a little bit different, right? Yeah. I think that's great. I mean, so tell us about American Specialty Health. Yeah. So, um, again, 30 year old company, uh, started in the eighties out of a second bedroom, in uh, here in uh, Pacific Beach, I believe. Um, the original thought was, you know, um, the solution when you have a medical problem is to go see a doctor and they will give you a prescription and they will, you know, maybe prescribe surgery. There are gentler ways to take care of your health that things like acupuncture, chiropractic, um, physical therapy. And interestingly, those aren't covered at all by um, any, you know, uh, regular health insurance, why not? Uh, so the thing, American Specialty Health was the, the first company to provide that to um, the American uh, population through, so we work, we still do that, right? We cover about 15 different uh, specialties through the largest health plans like Blue Cross Blue Shield or um, Kaiser, um, Cigna, et cetera. Um, and the, the thought has kind of grown over the years where now um, 
well, what's another way to take care of your health, right? Maybe rather than even going to see a chiropractor, you can increase your level of exercise. And so we've developed programs to encourage um, employees or members of health plans to become more active, think about uh, things in their lives, in their lifestyle that might impact them uh, for the better. So quit smoking, sleep better, stress less, uh, lose weight, develop solutions around that. And um, that's essentially what uh, occupies most of our time now. So. As a CTO, you might ask, what am I doing there? So the, a lot of the solutions we've developed through uh, very deep clinical expertise. So we tend to do everything through um, evidence-based um, solutions, which also means a pretty high touch, one-on-one clinician with, uh, uh, with a patient type solution. So my role is really to try to scale that quality of um, relationship and the uh, driving to the same quality outcome without the one-on-one interaction. So we, instead of interacting with uh, a, a coach or a physician, we're developing solutions where our members, our users can actually interact with apps, with uh, devices, capture meaningful um, information and have actually relevant and personalized recommendations uh, to navigate their health. So that's that's the type of product that that we build, and um, um, it's actually a very exciting uh, segment of uh, of the healthcare uh, industry. Can you just clarify the relationship between, say, Blue Cross and the employee? Yeah. So uh, and the chiropractor. And and uh, maybe I'll start with us. So basically, w- our solutions augment uh, the Blue Cross programs that they will then sell to an employer, right? So we can be the differentiator between uh, mm. one health plan and, and uh, another one because we're providing, for instance, free access to fitness centers mm. and a reward if you actually do go to that fitness center and, and exercise. So is there a way that I can, at seven CTOs, provide soul cycle classes? That's right. Like literally, can you can we print out the documents now and then I can sign it? <laughs> so, you know, as you mentioned at the beginning, I'm the CTO there. So I'll put you in touch with our sales uh, crew. Do you, is SoulCycle in your portfolio? Uh, so Classes? We, st- we started with um, co- what we call co-ed fitness clubs. So the 24-hour uh, fitness, Planet Fitness, all of those. We are uh, moving to incorporate now um, uh, studios and boutique um, uh, clubs like Soul Cycle or Bar or uh, Orange Theory and mm. those um, currently planned for 2020. So uh, if uh, you're thinking about your benefit roadmap, yes. I would love that so much. Aren't you a Soul Cycler? I prefer Bar. Isn't is Bar not yoga? How's ballet? Bar actually started with ballet. Yeah, you're right. What is Bar? It's a bar and you hold on to it and you contort oh, yourself around it. So he's kidding. He's messing with me. I think he might okay, be messing with okay. you. Yeah. Are you a soul cycle? Yeah, I soul cycled for my birthday yes, uh, a couple of months ago, a <laughs> couple of weeks ago. Once? Oh, oh. No, I've done. I've gone to eight <laughs> classes. Okay, eight. good for you. The my favorite part of soul cycle is when I imagine myself cycling through the universe, and my family is behind me, and I'm f- forging away for them through the through the stars. 
That's that's right. quite compelling. Yeah. I got to tell you, I got a Peloton, and they're amazing. Mm. I'm seriously considering Peloton because Soul Cycle's twenty five bucks a class. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you don't have to go to four classes. Do you and feel? For it. Do you feel? Do you feel it? When do you feel like you're I the think community the thing? The customer experience is incredible. Wow. I I actually prefer that to going to a class with other people because that person is talking to me. Is like right there. Can you do, does it feel that way? Totally. It's fun. And then I like also that they have the the comparative metrics, yep. right? They've got all the you've got the comparisons, you can put your friends up there, um, you can change your music, you can you can go to the cycle to the universe. You can cycle through my hometown. <laughs> there is a place you can cycle through my hometown. Oh, so you can you can cycle through your hometown. There's all these different places you can cycle, as well as classes. No brainer. Yeah. Definitely doing that. It's amazing. Once I, I get my credit it. score up, I'm going to see if I can <laughs> sign up for it. <laughs> <laughs> you were, Jen, can I ask you a question? You were talking about um, bringing this type of uh, program on Soul Cycle and uh, Cycling to the Stars to seven CTO members. Why, why are you thinking about that? Mm, I just that. think that it's such a. a um, so, first of all, if we can have some experiences together, uh, it builds the, the relational bond. And I think if you're suffering like that and then you experience that high together, mm-hmm. I just think that it, it provides just this, it, it sort of invests in the foundations of our relationships in a way that just sets us up. Because at seven CTOs with our forums, we're, we're, we're trying to do that by spending, you know, four hours a month together and, 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 and being open and vulnerable with each other. Well, that's four hours of talky-talky. Uh, with some accountability every month, but if you know if you can add some experiences to it, where we can say, hey, instead of well, in addition to doing lunches together or coffee dates, why don't we all go run on the beach in slow motion, hand in hand? Interesting enough, that's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking uh, after uh, you know our uh, attempts to organize lunches and try to meet outside of the the farm here. I think this is a really good idea, and um, not just about you know increasing maybe the fitness level of some of our members, but, you know, getting, getting some, um, getting to do some, some hard stuff together. Absolutely. Um, uh, so are you building this? So, I mean, when you said what you did, right. it sounded like class pass or something like yes, that. Yeah. So is, is it an integrated type of class pass experience? It is. Uh, some of our products are very comparable to, or, you know, competing with class pass, mm-hmm. except we don't sell them directly to the public. So we have, uh, you know, a, a um, consumer product that we launched last year, it's called Active and Feed Direct that actually provides you access to, I think we're up above 10,000 uh, clubs nationwide um, for, again, 25 bucks a month. Um, so you can go to any club anytime. You don't have any contract or, um, or other you know, long-term obligation. Um, so similar to that, right? As we are moving up the tiers like uh, SoulCycle or Bar, uh, might have you know, more restrictions, but um, the, the 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 interest is get people access to a place where they can exercise at a low cost, where you know money is actually not a barrier for uh, increasing your level of fitness. I just think that that being stuck in a dark room with thirty other strangers, shoulder to shoulder, cycling as if your life depends on it for forty five minutes with with thumping music. Is game changer. I've never felt so in love with strangers before. Then after a soul cycle, you know class. what? The class that I did that was weird like that it was glow boxing. 
glow glow box. boxing. So it's completely dark, and you've got the weights, and you've got an instructor, and it's and it's completely pitch black. And then the lights, like the fluorescent lights, go on, or the, not the, the neon lights, and you're glow boxing. That and I I can see you doing that. And how did you feel? Um, kind of horrible. (laughs) It was dark and it's smelly and it's like and it's neon light. It's just wrong. This is so first world. You know, yet I'll 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 end this. I promise. But yesterday, (laughs) while I was pushing hard, I noticed that my leg was going up and down at the exact same oscillation as my as the person next to me and i just felt so at one with this total stranger there was a connection there and 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 her she went up and down and and i and i was like i want to stay with her in this moment and 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 the you know the 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 Part of me was like, I hope she can see me and my legs. <laughs> she feels the same way. And that we're both doing it at the same... This I don't going, know. This, this is, is going too, to a really strange place. We can, yeah. we can end up yeah. well, I just wanted to <laughs> put a nice in. little... Good. Touchy feely end to it. I mean, it's a massive company, right? I mean, a lot of people... Uh, so we are about 1,500 employees. Uh, and uh, what's interesting is we're continuing to grow organically at uh, you know, 15 to 20% um, clip a year. So um, we've been growing the technology uh, team a lot, um, and together with that, uh, the maturity of, of our practice. So it's interesting, uh, you know, d- different from probably what you're leaving, Benji, but without uh, uh, with I think a lot of similarities in the the, the challenges that we're probably facing. Uh, how do you, as you grow from one engineer to five engineer, what type of culture do you wanna do you want to create? Um, and as you grow from 100 to 150 engineers, what type of culture do you want to maintain if there was one? Um, changing culture is very hard, but creating it and growing it and maintaining it, that's really interesting, right? So. And are there, are there certain things that you believe in that, that sort of has helped you sort of as a North Star for, for maintaining the culture that you feel is important for the company, and for your, especially for your tech, for your, for your team? Yeah, so... A lot of the things that we're trying to create is, is really a connection to the purpose. Uh, the purpose is, you know, building great product. The purpose is also uh, making people uh, healthier, our users. Um, and we want to be genuine about it. And we want everybody who contributes to that, not just the product managers or the product owners, to actually feel that they are part of, of something that... Uh, that has a meaningful purpose, right? So having fun doing it is great, but building something that is uh, going to change somebody's life, um, I think is what makes a difference in, in the work that you do. I think in the, the environment <clears throat> we live in today, as an engineer, you can probably get a job anywhere um, pretty fast, right? It's not, it's not challenging. The, I think the employment, unemployment rate is probably negative. Um, so why come work for a little known company as American Specialty Health? Well, uh, I think the purpose matters, and and uh, that's one of the ways that I think we can attract some of the best talent. With companies like that, I often wonder about uh, do do employees have to be fit, and by that I mean a fitness mindset. Or and I'm I'm helping a company now that. Is also sort of a uber fitness style a content company, mm-hmm. 
and everyone there is is you know good has a has a fitness health holistic mindset which yes. makes me think that anybody who might be you know overweight or not in good shape um is there like a natural selection thing happening there? Yeah, we're, we're trying to be a little more gentle about that. I've, I've worked and collaborated with companies where it was indeed uh, very um, biased towards you know, uh, super fit people and kind of trying to up one another. You know, what uh, triathlon did you run this weekend? Or And I think that, that creates um, kind of um, a nasty uh, atmosphere mm. more than anything else, right? So um, when we think about the culture of fitness, it means more, you know, it's okay to uh, take an hour at lunch uh, to go run or play soccer, right? And if you want to organize a team um, to um, have a beach volley, we'll provide you the means to do that and we'll provide you, you know, towels and you know, if you want to buy a net or so it's it is more enabling people to do what they want uh, in terms of you know um fitness in terms of of uh, healthy activities uh, that also creates some of the bonding that you are talking about uh, that can happen it's more it's a little more organic than you know uh everybody trying to compete against each other for you know seeing who's the most uh, the, the fittest um we also encourage um other healthy habits like you know got we've gotten rid of uh um of uh, sodas and uh you know uh unhealthy snacks replaced it with fruits and you know carbonated water i mean i don't know the wine uh <laughs> it's healthy, right? It is. Um, Lots of antioxidants. Maybe we should consider it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's, that's really the, the type of culture we're trying to create. Um, I love it. And um, so let's switch over to Benji. Uh, the, uh, why don't you tell us, remind us what, what you guys are building and sort of your team makeup? Yeah. Uh, so we are building software to help food organizations of varying sizes from restaurants all the way up to you know commercial airline kitchens uh, run their food operations more efficiently so in the industry it's called back of house operations uh, where they every day have to make food they have to take raw ingredients use recipes to convert them into finished product um, and the sort of status quo right now is spreadsheets in order to manage all of that uh, and that's obviously very brittle uh, and very, you know, low tech, not not very supportive. Um, and there are a lot of processes that happen on a daily basis that can be automated or semi-automated. So the goal um, of Galley is to provide a really user-friendly, easy-to-use web-based solution uh, where companies can store their recipes and enter in their projected uh, production numbers. How much of each recipe do they want to make? And we support them. We help them with purchasing. We help them create purchase orders with one click or two clicks. Um, we uh, have a theoretical inventory so that the system can keep track of how many pounds of tomatoes you have in-house so that when you go to buy tomatoes, it takes into account how much you already have. So the goal is to really you know, save time, save human capital time, uh, save food, food waste, um, hopefully avoid some of the huge spoilage and, and food loss that happens in the industry um, and and help to contribute to this sort of new age of food that's coming 
with the advent of these new delivery networks of, of on-demand at-home service, you know, it's completely changed the dynamics of a food operation. Even uh, your local restaurant is now on Uber Eats. Mm-hmm. And what does that mean for their food operation? Mm-hmm. They now have to, you know, they're, they have unlimited demand now. Mm-hmm. You know, they no longer are limited by the number of seats in their store or the people around their neighborhood. They can service a much broader mm-hmm. customer segment. So a lot of these food organizations are struggling to get their operations in line so that they can scale and capture this demand and benefit from these new technologies. And they can have about 10 cell phones next to their cash register. Yeah, exactly. To, uh, yeah, that's, get that's, all a, the orders, that's yeah. a whole other that's problem. That's cool. That sounds like such a big need, you know? Yeah. I love the, you're saving all this like food wastage and, and that's fantastic. Wh- who, who are your customers? Uh, so we have a broad set of customers in our small initial set of customers. I mean, we've, we've been operating for about a year and a half now. Uh, we have about 25 to 30 customers um, from all different sizes and, and kinds. One of our largest customers is a delivery-only restaurant in Paris. Um, they've actually just scaled to Madrid and London as well. So they are you know, delivery-only virtual ghost restaurant uh, that only exists on delivery platforms, and they have three different concepts, all serviced from one commissary location. Mm-hmm. So there's that idea of like the new age food that is highly tech dependent so they're very open to these tech solutions that help them scale and then we and then we also have you know catering companies and and Mm -hmm. organizations that have been running for decades who are recognizing that technology has infiltrated every other enterprise um except for food and they're still running their operations off of pencil and paper or spreadsheets and you know there just hasn't been a good enough solution to adopt. Um, so is your, your app actually in the kitchens? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So the 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 main users of the app are the executive chef, mm-hmm. the purchasing manager, the inventory manager, um, even line cooks eventually, mm-hmm. you know, will ideally will have kiosks around the kitchen at certain prep tables and it'll tell you what's the next thing that you're supposed to be working on. So just that task delegation and communication. So then it sounds like, because what I thought you said in the beginning was really about sort of the management and the inventory and the purchasing, mm-hmm. but it also sounds like you're doing this on the line. Oh, yeah. So actually when orders are coming in, you're saying, this is what you do, here's a recipe, like the whole works. Yeah, so there's there's definitely, there's I think what you're getting at is like in a restaurant, if you look behind the scenes, there's these screens up and it says, this is what the order is that's yeah. coming in. That's yeah. more real-time like kitchen management systems. Um, we're not quite focusing on that just yet. We're, we're more on less real-time applications where it's more procedural. Okay. It's almost more like a manufacturing line okay. as opposed to being so influenced from customer orders coming in. So this will be like a once a day or twice a day I'm going in and I'm making sure that I'm ready yep. for what's coming next. Yep, yeah, exactly. Okay. And, and the application came from my previous experience at Sprig, which was a startup in San Francisco. Uh, it was at one point the largest food provider in San Francisco. We were doing about 5,000 meals a day, and mm-hmm. it was a delivery-only food organization. So mm-hmm. every day we had a certain menu. We had a certain number of meals that we wanted to make available, and mm-hmm. the, the goal was how can we most efficiently make those meals. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of batching and pre-processing to optimize. Mm-hmm. It's sort of an optimization problem mm-hmm. from an engineering perspective. Mm-hmm. How can you most efficiently make these different products you work with um the supply side as well uh so eventually yes um you know when we have this product really built out and we're giving a lot of value to these food organizations we're going to have an incredible amount of 
very applicable data. Yeah. And that data is going to be valuable um, and suppliers are going to be interested. And so it's probably a natural evolution to also include, you know, a supply chain piece of this. Um, but that's that's sort of phase two, phase three sort of thing. You're, you're based in San Diego? Yeah. All of your engineers in San Diego or yep. your distributed team? Uh, yeah, we're all local. Uh, we're still small, so to Etienne's question of what's the engineering team makeup, mm-hmm. um, I actually hired a couple uh, engineers, junior engineers from a local code academy. Oh. So one from Origin Code Academy, which has uh, since shut down, and uh, two actually from Learn, uh, which is another local code academy. So, mm. you know, wanting to have those junior developers that are hungry. Um, but really smart, really eager, uh, and then selfishly wanting to be able to mold them a little bit myself <laughs> and turn them that into... Is an, that, that's an amazing luxury, by the way, the junior engineer molding and shaping them. Yeah. Because uh, especially people from code schools, I find, are so hungry and so eager and so aware of how little they know that there's just this amazing ability and desire to 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 work hard the ethics the work ethic yeah it takes a lot to decide at some later point in your life i'm gonna pivot you know it's like a startup you make a decision of like i see a better path i'm gonna risk a lot to take on a lot of personal responsibility to make a change in my life and I think the people who make it out on the other end are really, you know, it's it speaks to the character, back to the hiring thing. What's the culture that you want to build? Um, you know, I was going to comment, for me, when I think about culture, when I think about the companies that I have worked at before, I really think that the culture of a company is just the people at the company. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's so important who you hire, who you fire, right? Again, you know, one of the most important things of building culture is firing people. And, and it's not to say that, I, I love firing people, but it's it's that when you have, you know, if you have the person who's constantly coming in being like, oh, what was your tri- triathlon time? And if that's not the culture that you want, by them doing that, that is your culture. That is them representing, being a part of your company. And, you know, it's not to say fire somebody over that, but, you know, it's, it's, it's to me, it's the people. And it's, it's so much of their character and their, their sort of being that really defines that. Yeah, you know, in our portfolio, we work with um, a a bunch of companies and we spend a good chunk of time on values. And I think that when you talk about culture, it derives from what values do you hold, like, important. And a lot of the time, you know, you're so busy to, like, you just need people. Like, you just need bodies, Mm -hmm. especially if you're growing. And it's just so easy to feel desperate to try and get that next person on just to do the work. Um, but it just causes you, it's like then you know, you're, you're firing a bunch of people. But we actually take people through hours of values exercises to really understand what's important because it is, it comes from your leadership team. And then you live it and then you can see people who actually don't. So yeah, yeah. I mean, you talk culture and I think um, I just go one layer down to say it's, it's a really is a value-driven exercise about what you want this company and how you want it to show up. I love it when I see companies, especially um, early stage companies, thinking deliberately about the values they want to maintain and, mm-hmm. and uh, create. Mm-hmm. I think it is, um, as you said, easy to um, succumb to, you know, I just need to get that project out the door and I just need, you know, 
couple more engineers, uh, whomever. But I think what you're building over time, a culture is essentially behavior over time, right? Mm -hmm. It's not, it's nothing else. You don't want to let that happen by chance. Um, so, you know, especially as a founder or as CTO or as a, an executive in a company, you want to be very deliberate about um, hiring the right people, firing the wrong people, uh, but also being clear about what is it that makes it right or wrong. It makes me, uh, to kind of come back to the junior engineer thing um, and establishing that culture, um, one of the big giants in my life's name is Sugata Mitra, who uh, is an Indian guy who ran these hole-in-the-wall experiments uh, in, in New Delhi. And he basically had kids put a computer in the hole, a hole in the wall, and then he would observe kids' behavior uh, who'd never been exposed to that. And then he would observe how would they interact with this machine uh, when they haven't ever been trained, they haven't been educated, they're in the slums. And you can guess what happened. I mean, the kids taught themselves how to use these machines. And uh, he then went to create this foundation and this sort of uh, learning academy. And one of the things he said was, um, it's not our, so speaking about our children, he's, he's in, in education, he said, it's not our job to teach our kids, you know, about things. It's our job to ask them interesting questions. And it struck me so much, and especially when I work with junior engineers, it's uh, my challenge isn't how can I teach them this thing, but how can I ask them interesting enough questions that they will then pursue that. And I think that kind of drags them into your culture as opposed to that sort of, you know, well, this is how I want you to do things. This is how I want the culture expressed. It's more, my challenge now is how do I, how do I keep you interested by asking you those questions? I think it's similar to how you want to build products as well, right? Focusing on the problem, not necessarily the solution. But we get very enamored by uh, thinking about solutions and often we forget what problem we're trying to solve. So, oh, I love it yeah. when CTOs say that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Makes me happy. <laughs> I heard you talk. No. Uh, so that, was, uh, that was a softball. <laughs> no, I think that is, um, I mean, just near and dear, it's like finding and discussing the right problem, right? And I think it speaks to the question is ask your customers. Like, you've got to observe, you've got to watch, you've got to learn. And then there's lots and lots of ideas that you can experiment on and, and you can figure out different solutions. But that sort of parallel path just isn't a very good one anymore. And so much of the time we start straight into solutions and it's not just engineers. Mm -hmm. Everybody does it. Product people are just as, just as guilty. Because I mean, we like solving problems, right? If I gave you a problem right now or a puzzle, your instinct uh, isn't to ask them questions. You're going to go straight and go, I know how to do that. my brain. Yeah. Yeah, I, I believe it's how our education system works. So I can only comment on what I've seen, you know, in probably most of the Western countries. But that's basically what we teach our kids in the yeah, at school from uh, the earlier stage, thinking about solutions, algorithms, not necessarily the underlying problems, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. when, how we teach? How do we teach math? We teach that you know, in order to multiply one number by another, you need to remember your table, etc. But what does it mean under, uh, underneath that? And why would you do mm. that? I think we don't typically. Uh, so I want to uh, contrast 
the challenges maybe that the two of you have, Jerome and Benji. Uh, Jerome, CTO of a of a large company. Benji, starting from scratch, um, team of hundred plus. How many? How how large is your team? We're about one hundred and fifty engineers. Okay, and team of five plus, right? Um, Jerome, are you still beholden to to finding out what customers want, or do you have a system in place that shields your team from that? Whereas with Benji, you probably couldn't survive if you aren't asking that question every day, like what does the customer want? So how how is that problem similar or how is it completely different for the two worlds that you guys live in? That, that's actually really interesting because I believe that organizations, as they grow, tend to shield indeed their development teams and their engineering groups from the customer and the problems that they have. So I see uh, in most occasions my role as actually being unshielding right so exposing uh exposing the uh, the folks who build the product teams who you know bring those solutions to the market to you know the users that actually are on the other on the receiving end so either 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 uh internal users if we're building we're, we're, we are building our own tools right or you know if i were uh building tools for restaurant actually you know, go there and see how the, the the line is working. We you know go to gyms and talk to folks who are um, exercising there, to the, the the guys who gals who are behind the counter, and 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 we try to understand who they are and uh, build the right tools for them. I think that this is critical. I, I believe again, it's also part of the culture. And uh, again, my role is is removing those shields in in a lot of uh, in most in most cases. Yeah, I mean, for me, you know, I've sort of, I, I lived, you know, this product is sort of a V2 for me. I built it internally for a company uh, first, and that was day in, day out, in the kitchen with a hairnet on, watching the chefs do their work. Uh, and, you know, the interesting thing, talking about hearing the problem, um, a big part of my job then and now is hear the problem, but not necessarily respond immediately to that problem. Because I have a lot of people that say, hey, I need this field on this page, or I need this column on this sheet. And you need to have the discipline to say, well, why? Mm -hmm. What are you trying to do? And and it's sort of, you know, the, the five whys. How can you understand the root cause? Um, and what I found is uh, the beauty of that is you might have 10 different people telling you a different problem. But if you root cause, a lot of them are sort of similar and then you can so, then you can you know I, I i'm big on you know high impact bullets that are like here's one feature that solves five of the different problems that i've just heard um and so being an early stage company trying to run lean uh that's been really critical for us um and and you know uh one of the things i wanted to talk about is road mapping and and you know one of the challenges that i'm having is not only my team in terms of the sales team and customers are asking, okay, well, what features are you going to be building? I'm so hesitant to commit because I'm constantly in real time gathering data and trying to understand where's the product at, where are the customers at, and what is the next thing that needs to get built. And I have a vision in my head of long term. These are the high level features that we're going to have. But in terms of the week by week, sprint by sprint sort of planning, uh, I'll have an idea of what we'll build and then it'll completely change mm -hmm. um and so 
you know, I guess my question to you, Vidya, is like, how do you, is there, is there a answer? Hmm. This is how you should roadmap, or is it contextual? And it, you know, is it more? Am I am I taking too much liberty in being the product owner and the CTO, uh, or do you? No, you know? I, the fact that you're just listening about problem statements and asking the whys. I'm like, you're the you're the ideal person to sort of sit and straddle both of those. The the what you ask is, I think it's really common. Whether you're a really big company and you've got b2b customers and they're asking you and you just have to say something and it's taken that that's going to be delivered um what i found and what i've used as the best way to do this is to have instead of dates is this idea of now like now later and future and so what you're showing is a pipeline of a list of things that you're working on right now and you will deliver and they have date commitments and then things that are on your pipeline next, so now next, uh, and that can change. And so the fact that it's next and it doesn't have a date or a sprint against it allows you to have the conversation about how important it is, like where it falls. You can talk about the research and what you've learned. And then later is these big ideas that are you know, in a vision and you're really still working through it and you can come back to them. And if you do that, it doesn't take very long, two or three times, people get used to things coming on and off because you haven't put them in a date roadmap. And so I would say just try and take all your dates off and just go that three simple column of now, next, later. Mm. And give that a shot. And that's the most effective way I've found to have that communication. Yeah, I love that. I mean, the uh, <laughs> you've, you've worked in larger companies, so you've actually seen probably the problem on the other side, which is... Um, the abundance of requests and, and ideas and, and problems that need to be solved and the same need to prioritize what uh, what is the next thing that you should be working for or working on. And we've actually done almost exactly what you're saying, um, where we are, um, we have um, what we're calling a release, which is, you know, we're releasing actually every day, but we're freezing the, our roadmap for the next three months. So that kind of stabilizes uh, thoughts a little bit and, and focuses the team. So next three months worth of work, uh, that's committed and we can talk to it. We can actually sell the actual uh, the actual feature and with a you know more or less exact timeline. Three months to a year, that's our roadmap. Things might change, you know, sequences of delivery, the detail of the feature that's gonna change. And a year and beyond, we want to be able to talk to that, but it's more the domain of the vision. So there is really very little commitment there. We invite um, feedback and, and other thoughts, but you know we shouldn't promise something that's year and a half out with a screenshot of what it will look like. <laughs> we know that we've done that, and you know it doesn't work, right? Uh, we yeah, and that's and that's interesting because we are training our people that it's about dates when we when we use dates, mm -hmm. and it's so. So tempting to always say, well, it's three weeks out or it's six weeks out, and to just say, well, it's the now, and and you know it's ready when it's ready. And I think for now, it could be a sprint, or it could be your three months when you're a more yeah. established company. You have to have more rigor because you've got a lot more customers that you're rolling out to. So that date is completely arbitrary, and you may have a fourth category in there. So it. But using that flexibility and using the terms that fit, and you might have something that's like fun with the food industry, 
but the ability, kind of like you can imagine on a gallery and a pipeline of food going out, I would just have fun with it and just say it's like, you know, ready to eat. And then, you know, et cetera. It's in the freezer. It's in the freezer. It's like, you know, marinating, marinating, (laughs) you know, like, you know, it's a recipe. But but having sort of this concept where you can actually just show them Mm -hmm. that there's different stages and then you you are responsible for telling them what comes off and on. So it's not a shock. I'm like, I had five things that were marinating. Where the heck do they go, right? You're like, you blow the line. This is what replaced it and this is why. Mm. That conversation, I think, is a really good one and most customers get it because you're speaking to what's most important for them. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, I want to hear how it goes. Yeah, appreciate the feedback. You should... uh, have my six-hour marinated tri-tip. <laughs> Later. <laughs> we're, we're, when we're on the bike, you know, thinking about the stars. And yes, yeah. yes. Hey, uh, just briefly as we end, how do you guys feel about eating food that you just, someone puts on a plate and then gives to you and then you just eat it? You mean like in a restaurant? Yes. <laughs> Don't you sometimes think to yourself, I'm so lulled into just putting something in my mouth in my body i don't know where it comes from I, i'm just trusting that the the hygiene in the kitchen is like i mean is it just crazy me talking but like for instance the i just subscribe to daily harvest so i get these little frozen mm. food things I'm, I'm on a trial period but and i just i'm amazed at how i go to the freezer i take it out i see this stuff in this thing god knows where it, i don't you know then I put it in the blender, I add some almond milk, I fire it up, I put it in the thing, and then I consume it. I'm like, what the fuck did I just do? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> hey, if it's got no chemicals in it, I think it's a good thing. Yeah. I'm just amazed at how, how we trust the food supply. It's just shocking. I don't know, Benji, should we? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like moving that that, That's phase two for us. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. This is wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Fun. Cheers. Have you chatted with a CTO lately? Hi, thank you for listening to the CTO Studio. If you don't mind, take a quick second and please rate and review the show. It helps us a lot. Go to thectostudio.com for more information on what we're doing at 7CTOs. We also have a video or two for you that could be a helpful resource for you as you're managing your company. So thank you for listening.